Welcome to the MMA Geek Sea Level Podcast. This is Stan Jariah with my co-host, my friend, Nick Braccia. Nick, how are you this week, buddy? Uh, doing well. Doing uh, well, Stan. Uh, excited, uh, excited to pick this card. Yeah, we're going to preview UFC on ESPN3, uh, where JDS goes up against Francis Ngannou in a battle between two of the top five heavyweights in the world. We're also going to talk about UFC on ESPN Plus 12 from last week, where we saw Korean Zombie score a first-round knockout over Renato Moncano. Nick, we are now tied up at 8-8-3, eight, eight, and three, I believe, in our prediction competition. Um, I edged you out by a fight or two last week. I think uh, I think you got that mechanic. I, yeah, by one fight. It was the, the difference was the Andre Ewell, uh, Anderson Dos Santos fight, although you also picked Andrea Lee, where I had Montana De La Rosa. That's right. That's right. And, and, I, and you I, also picked McCann. I correctly picked Molly McCann over Aryan Lipsky. That's right. Really good call on McCann. Um, obviously, we'll talk quickly about the main event. Chang Sung Jung didn't need a whole lot of time to get that knockout over Hanato Moicano. He slipped, countered. Moicano was hurt, and that was the end of it. At this point, it seems like uh, for Moicano, it's that chin that's a bit of a liability, especially you know having two knockouts just this year, knockout losses. He's going to need to take some time to recoup if he's going to come back as a top contender. What do you think? Yeah, I. it was one of those main events that is explosive and does uh, great wonders for a fighter's reputation, but it's always a bit of an anti-climax when everyone's expecting a five-round war and a fight ends as quickly. Um, Similar similar, uh, expectations and uh, emotional feeling to, uh, say, for example, Dillashaw Cejudo. Just uh, clipped and uh, finished. Yeah, this one, luckily, was a little bit more decisive. Korean Zombie with that spectacular knockout over Maicano, the knockout over Bermudez. Really, ever since 2011, Nick, he's only got two losses. One is to Jose Aldo by injury in a fight that was, you know, semi-competitive considering he was going up against Jose Aldo back in 2013. And then he had a, a fifth round, last literal last second loss, Ciara Rodriguez, uh, back in November, I believe, of last year. Yeah, Rodriguez got him. Uh, it was pretty clear to everyone, I think, that Chen Sung Jung was leading on the scorecards, and Rod- Rodriguez caught him with that elbow. So, really, if you look at it, like he doesn't have any fights in which he's getting dominated, in which he's getting beat by superior competition, and he's having performances against Bermudez and Moicano like uh, like he has in the last couple of years. Uh, sandwiched in with that good performance against Yair Rodriguez, in which he got caught at the last second. He's looking like like a like a real monster. And you and I both picked Moicano last week, but we mentioned that Chan Sung Jung has a shot here, and he has a shot at beating any 145 pounder in the world. Yeah, uh, it's it's so difficult to speak to how good he is because um, since his UFC debut in early 2011, eight years ago. Yeah, he's only fought, I think, uh, including that fight, seven times. So it's it's uh, it's you know it's only five fights to go that he choked out Sin Poirier. Even that fight was over seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's just hard. It's it's just hard. I mean, he's he's obviously extremely skilled. It's just been difficult to build any momentum. Um, because of the combination of injuries and military service, um, he won't. You know, he really fought less than half, as you might ex- uh, you might expect 
a guy to fight over a uh, you know a nine year period, uh, maybe even even less than that. Yeah, um, it, between the military service, and I don't know if there were injuries more recently that were keeping out of uh, out of bouts. I know he pulled had to. Yeah. Uh, were canceled bouts against Lamas and Edgar leading up to that Rodriguez fight. So hopefully he can stay healthy and, and more consistent. Like he's guaranteed violence. He's guaranteed excitement in every fight, no matter what fight it is. And he's he's a great guy to main event these fight nights for the UFC because, again, like you will not end that night. You will not go home from that arena disappointed if the Korean Zombie is in the main event. Even in a loss, he will make it exciting as heck. And he can win in so many different ways. If you ask me, he's must-watch TV when it comes to MMA. And I'm glad to see him starting to get his dues. Unfortunately, it was at the expense of Renato Maicano, who just a little while ago was seen as a real, true, clear prospect. I think he was seen as a favorite uh, by a lot of experts in his scheduled bout against Jose Aldo just a few months ago. And here he is now coming off of two knockout losses He's going to have to reinvent and recreate and maybe go up against lower-level competition, maybe go up against someone that's known to be a grappler, someone that won't have the power to hurt him. And I would still take at least six months off, even if that were the case, even if his next opponent doesn't have a high chance of knocking him out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, going back to Zombie, I just this that fight was um, two days short of occurring on his 12th, the anniversary, the 12th anniversary of his pro debut. He's only 15 and five, and he's been a pro for just over 12 years now. That's remarkable to me. Yeah, uh, hard to believe. Again, you, you alluded to his UFC debut being back in 2011, and he's had basically less than one fight per year since then uh, on average, right? So, yeah, hopefully he can get more active and, and main events at more of these events. And, shoot, maybe he'll walk his way back to the title shot. I think he's got a decent chance against somebody like Max Holloway. Um he probably has a lower shot against Vulcan, uh, Volkanovski if Volkanovski's to get that strap around his waist. But a uh, very intriguing top five 145-pounder uh, is Korean Zombie, and looking forward to seeing him compete in the future. In the co-main event, Nick, we had quite a performance by Randy Brown. I think it helps that Brian Barbarena went through an insane war just four months ago uh, against Vincente Luque, but... Whatever the factors may be, Randy Brown looked really good. He looked improved. He was able to keep him at a distance, land fairly hard strikes. Uh, he kept it where he was comfortable against the shorter opponent, Brian Brabanera, who normally walks into a bout and is the taller guy, uh, wasn't able to get his counters off quite the same way and wasn't able to withstand the punishment that Randy Brown dished out. Randy was able to get that third-round finish, and this is the second bout in a row in which Barbonera is finished by a younger opponent in the third round. Yeah, just brutal, brutal shots to Barbarina's body um, to, to close that out. Um, I thought Brown's cardio was great. I mean, Barbarina to me looked a, a little, he always, you know, scraps and takes some damage, but um, he didn't seem to have quite as much pep in his step uh, to me as he did in the Luque fight. Um, I didn't think he was, I thought the shots were impacting him more and uh yeah it was if i didn't go the way i expected it to and brown went a long way towards making everyone forget that uh that big ko loss to nico price yeah but even in that knockout loss to nico price brown was on top and he was in a pretty decent position it was kind of an yeah, awful knocked out by hammer fist from the bottom which no one i don't think we'd ever seen before no no i'm pretty sure we haven't certainly not in the ufc and and again brown has those physical 
attributes, right? He's got the length, 6'3", at 170 pounds. That's impressive. He's got visible fast switch muscle fiber. When he tries tries and explodes, you can see that he's got power, that he's got explosiveness, he's got speed. So he's got all the attributes, right? He's got all of the tools that you would need in order to build yourself or have your coach help build you into a high, high level MMA fighter. And Randy Brown is starting to put it together. I hope the UFC kind of gives him gives him the right opponents to guide him up there. I think he's got a lot of potential. And not just to be like an exciting main card fighter. I think he's got the potential to be a uh, to be a, a top 10 guy, top 15 guy, certainly, in the near future. And uh, and I look forward to seeing him compete. A big removal from his loss to Bello Muhammad just a couple of years ago. A big, big improvement since then. I know he was out for a year after his knockout loss to Nico Price. He clearly improved during that year, and I'm glad to see it. So yeah, you had picked Andre Ewell, who uh, who looked fantastic, who used his reach, and just touched up, looked very athletic, and touched up Anderson Dos Santos, who despite having a clear advantage um, on the ground, and it seemed to me the ability to to take Ewell down if he if he even set up his take his takedowns a little bit, but he was content to uh, lose a kickboxing match for uh, for three rounds. Um, not, not to take anything away from Yule, who uh, who looked fantastic on the feet, though certainly a little bit, uh, you know, out of out of his element when he was on his back. Yeah, here's the thing: Yule looked pretty bad in his last loss, a Runeka choke loss in the third round to Nathaniel Wood. But Nathaniel Wood, Nick, is like as blue chip as a prospect gets at at one. What is this? One thirty-five, I believe. He's as good as a guy will get in this division, a, a guy that's not currently considered to be one of the very elite. He's going to be. So losing to him and even decisively is not really that much to be ashamed of. And Anderson Dos Santos, you know, he's he's kind of a longtime veteran. He's He's got a record of 20 and 8. Uh, even before this bout, seven other guys were able to figure out how to beat him, including in his UFC debut against Nad Naramani. Naramani's a good fighter, but he's no Nathaniel Wood. And yeah, so I, I kind of I kind of expect that Andrew Ewell to be able to get a knockout at some point uh, before the the third the end of the third round. Uh, but he was able to control. He was able to counter. He's fast as heck. Um, he's got attributes that'll work out well for him. But he really needs to continue to work on that takedown defense, and he needs to he needs to really focus on getting up off of his back if he is taken down. That'll be the biggest factors that can make all the difference in his career as far as how far he can go in the division. Agreed. Then we had, I mean, not too much to say about this fight, women's fight about Andrea Lee just looked fantastic. Uh, her, her takedown defense was strong. She looked uh, light on her feet. She, um, her striking was tight. Her jab was working. And Montana De La Rosa was struggling to implement her game she just could not impose her will and keep the fight um where she was perceived to have an advantage frankly this is an example of a uh, a, a talented fighter just getting outworked by maybe a more athletic fighter a more prepared fighter a more experienced fighter but andrea lee uh, took it to her for the most part not it was pretty decisive in my mind yeah i agree that it was decisive. Um, I, I absolutely saw the risk in Montana, Montana Del Rosa getting top position and submitting her. I also noticed that Montana was quicker than Andre Lee. So I saw the risk in the bout, but I picked Lee with some confidence because of just how high level her footwork and her defense is standing up. 
it's possible to take Andrea Lee down maybe the first time if you surprise her after convincing her that you're going to stand with her. But you've got to be pretty high level to take her down after that. I know you mentioned that Lee had lost to Roxanne Matafari a few years ago. But again, Lee was 2-0 going into that bout. I don't know that we can hold that 2014 loss in her third MMA bout to a veteran of 27 fights against her. I could see ways for Montana to, to take the bout, but I was confident Andrea Lee, even on the ground, there, isn't, there wasn't too much reason to assume that Lee was leagues below Montana. The girls that Montana had finished aren't exactly considered you know, elite grapplers by any means. And Andrea Lee is, in my opinion, at least uh, one of the top 10, 125-pounders in the world. And I don't just mean by the current standards, by the current ranking that I think includes – a lot of girls in there that won't be there in a year. I think she's going to stick around in the top 10 of that division and maybe even work her way up to a title shot here. She's undefeated in the UFC thus far. Kevin Holland injured his shoulder in the in the first round, somehow eked out a decision uh, despite that injury uh, in a bout that uh, was not very much fun to watch. And most uh, of the press agreed that Alessio DiCirico, uh should have gotten the nod in. Um, I don't. I don't really have much to say about this bout. I don't know if you do. Yeah, Kevin Holland's just weird and keeps winning bouts that he shouldn't win. Uh, this is the second one in a row. I don't get it either. It's weird. And yeah, you're right. There's not much worth discussing except that Alessio Dechirico deserved the victory, and it's it stinks for his career because he's really starting to put his game together and starting to look better overall than he did in his first couple of UFC bouts. Uh, Dan Ige prejudice did- against Italians in this day and age. Yeah, well, I know, I know you do when it comes to picking UFC bouts, but I mean, I, I thought I thought I am, I am prejudiced against my own people when it comes to picking. <laughs> yes, well, look, Italy doesn't have the most well-known MMA scene, but I think they've come a long way since Alicio Sakara back in the day, who I think is still competing, by the way. Uh, Dan Ige scored a very impressive victory over Kevin Aguilar. Yeah, um, we picked this one wrong. Yeah, we both picked this one wrong. I can see that Ige might have more of an upside in his career than the man he lost his UFC debut to, Holy Arse. I think he's got a lot of talent on the ground, but he looked really good standing up in this one. I didn't expect him to be able to consistently get takedowns against Aguilar, but it seems like didn't he, he didn't need to. He roughed him up on the feet, especially in that third round. And Aguilar is known for, for being the stand-up striker. He's known for having the power. He's known for having the chin. So it was really impressive by Dan Ige, who's you know explosive, and as his conditioning adds to his mental strength, I think him training with extreme couture is a, is a factor as well. They seem to be at a pretty good point right now. They've got a, a few kind of up-and-coming UFC fighters, and they're doing well with them. So, yeah, I think he put a lot of his game together for this one. Another, by the way, extreme couture fighter who won that night was Ashley Yoder over Siuri Kondo. Uh, Yoder dominated pillar to post. Um, she just she just looked really good. And I mean, known for her striking, but she spent – a lot of the fight grappling. I had a feeling going into Kondo's background when I picked this fight, and it's the reason why I, I picked Yoder um, qu- quite confidently, is Kondo's still pro wrestling, like at least within the last couple of years. And is MMA, you can't have two jobs and fight in the UFC like that. I just, I just didn't think. Um, and she just got, she fought, she fought like a part time fighter. Like I didn't, she didn't. Um, she can like Ashley Yoder's not known um, as a top contender, although she's quite you know she's quite talented, um, and she just did whatever she wanted whenever she wanted. Couldn't get the finish, but just dominated the entire fight. Condor did not look like she belonged in the cage with her. Yoder looked good. I liked her 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu advantage, and I liked her height advantage in this one. And I think she took advantage of both. She's starting to put her game together as well. Again, training with an organized team with you know some fellow high-level fighters really can go a long way with some high-level coaches out there at Extreme Couture, who I believe Joseph Benavides, who is fighting this Saturday, is also currently training with. Luis Pena picked up uh, a pretty one-sided victory over Matt Wyman, who looked like a fighter who'd been out of the game for many years about as you would expect, both in his conditioning and the fact that his game hasn't necessarily developed a whole lot. Luis Pena, as expected, should have gotten the win here, and he did. Rosenstruck knocked out Alan Crowder in a few seconds. Cool to watch. Good for him. Uh, Molly McCann, this was your pick. This was a great pick on your part, Nick. Just out-toughed Ariane Lipsky. Well, she out-toughed her, but Lipsky doesn't seem to be able, in her two fights against JoJo and now against McCann, doesn't seem to be able to pull the trigger or adapt in the middle of a fight. And that's all McCann did. McCann mixed up. She was so comfortable scrapping and, and fighting and uh, mixing things up. And she she landed that terrific, perfectly timed uh, takedown in the last 30 seconds of the first round and was just, just brimming with confidence. And she, you know, she got clipped by some strikes, but there wasn't enough pop in, in Lipsky's shots um, to, you know, to put her on silly street and she just, uh, she dominated the fight. She landed a lot more and I think it really came down to fight IQ in there and, and being able to, um, be creative on the fly. I do not get a lot of creativity from Lipsky. She just kind of, it seemed to me like she know she knows how to kickbox when someone's standing in front of her. And if someone, if people stop doing that, that uh, she just kind of short circuits. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Molly McCann won me over in this bout. Not only her, not only her toughness, her mental strength. Um, I like the way that she fought as a smaller striker against a taller striker who's supposed to have more weapons. And just post fight, like her energy, her her mental strength. She's she, she's a character, and I mean that in a good way. And yeah, and yeah look, I look forward. She, she's going to be a fun mainstay in the UFC, I think. And and honestly, she has a shot at staying at the lower half of the top 10 of the division if she continues to put her game together. I don't know that she necessarily has the training around her in order to in order to get up there, up there. But I think she, she could be a top five fighter at 125 as the roster stands right now. Top five, I think, might be might be putting it a bit strongly, but maybe. I mean, so far in the UFC, she's only lost that one bout to Jillian Robertson. So it seems like the ground game might be her weakness. Her next two bouts are against Priscilla Cachuera and Ariane Lipsky. So her only two wins in the UFC are against girls that have never scored a victory in the UFC. We'll see as far as her potential outside of that. But I do look forward to, to seeing her go in there against girls that have shown that they could compete at this level. But again, she clearly like was a big underdog here and just looked great against Ariane Lipsky. Darren Wynn and Eric Spicely had a really exciting opener. Darren Wynn's 5-5 going against a much taller Eric Spicely, who's known more for his jiu-jitsu than anything else, but looked pretty good standing. Landed some big shots against a shorter Darren Wynn, who is maybe a less imposing Daniel Cormier. A prospect to watch. I don't know how high his upside is standing at only 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, 5-5 five, five or 6-2. Uh, yeah. and it was, you know, it was a good scrap. I mean, overall, this card offered uh, a good amount of action. I agree. The ones that you and I disagree on, disagreed on were the Molly McCann, Ariane Lipsky, a great pick on your part uh, early on on the card. And we disagreed on Andrea Lee versus Montana Del Rosa. Yeah, I thought De La Rosa would get the sub. And I thought that Andrea Lee, based on the fact that she got RNC'd by Sarah Dialio, well, you know, three years ago. 
I thought that De La Rosa's jits would be able to close her out, but I uh, I was clearly wrong. Uh, yeah, and then Andrew uh, Andre Ewell versus Anderson Dos Santos. That was just a super close pick'em fight. Uh, that you know it was on paper right, basically grappler versus tracker, and Andrew Ewell proved to be the the better man in that one. So we are now tied at eight eight and three. Nick, I look forward to getting up ahead and being in the lead here. I don't know if I've been in the lead yet. We've either been tied or you've had one or two on me for nineteen weeks. So this could be. This could be it. I don't have a great feeling about uh, this upcoming card, so we'll see. Well, every time you say that, I think you won. So I'm going <laughs> to take that that with a grain of salt. Yeah, actually, the betting for this event for me was somewhat mixed. My biggest liability was Lipsky. She basically kind of killed the whole thing for me. I thought that a lot of the odds were very lopsided. And so I recommended bets on some of those underdogs that, to me, should have been pick-em fights. Korean Zabme at plus 180, I recommended putting some money on him. I recommended putting money on Brown at plus 236, and that one panned out as well. We did lose 20 bucks on De La Rosa, DeChirico, Matt Wyman, and Crowder, who I, all of whom I thought had a shot. Matt Wyman and Crowder I only put 5 bucks a piece on uh, at plus 315 and plus 191 respectively. De La Rosa and DeCherico, I put 10 bucks a piece on. Again, these were not bets that I was really relying on, but I figured a lot of lopsided odds here. It's worth placing money on some of these underdogs if only a few dollars. And then I uh, put a straight bet on Yoder at minus 120, which worked out. Ariana Lipsky ended up killing my night uh, by losing that fight. I, I parlayed her alongside Wynn, who uh, actually got the victory. She was a minus 274 favorite, Lipsky was, and Wynn was a minus 283 favorite. Unfortunately, Lipsky killed that bet for me. So so I ended up, I think, something like $3 up at the end of the night. I'll take it. It's not a loss. It's not quite the big winnings that we had a couple of events ago. I think it was UFC 236. I will take being a few bucks up, hoping to do some damage this weekend on the on the betting neck. I mean, you got to pay for that Ferrari somehow, buddy. Yeah, damn right I do. And we're talking about a Hot Wheel here, Nick. I got to afford the Hot Wheel. <laughs> so let's uh, US, UFC on ESPN3 in Ganu versus Santos, the heavy hitters. Uh, let's talk main event. I got to believe you and I are on the same page here. I will be shocked if we are not. I, I think that's very likely. Junior Del Santos has had a bit of a resurgence in his career lately. He's come back and looked really good with wins over Ivanov, Toivasa, and, and Derek Lewis in his last few bouts. Uh, he is 21 and five going up against Francis Ngannou, who has the touch of death. He touches guys like Cain Velasquez, Curtis Blades, Alistair Overeem, Andre Arlovsky, and they drop like flies. Um, he's made a bit of a comeback after losing that decision to CP Miocic in that weird fight with Derek Lewis, where either guy could have lost and it was him. Um, I, I do, I do, I favor Francis Ngannou because he's got so much power. Uh, he's going up against Junior Dos Santos, who's not really known as a takedown guy. And you've got to keep taking Engano down and keep not getting hit. At some point, Junior Dos Santos is going to throw something, and that's all Engano needs is an opportunity to counter, especially to counter your boxing. If Junior Dos Santos is smart, he will stay at the kicking range, and he will throw roundhouse kicks forever, uh, circling out of the way where Francis Engano goes forward. And as Francis is moving forward, he should be shooting under his punches uh, if he can frustrate him enough to make him look, move forward. That's kind of the tricky part here. He should move under Francis's punches to go for takedowns. I don't know that Dos Santos is going to do that. I think Dos Santos still trains with the American top team, and that's exactly 
the, the kind of team that can put together the right game plan for this matchup. But again, for five rounds, Junior Dos Santos will have to not get hit once cleanly a single time. The room for error is so small when you're facing Francis Ngannou, who only needs a one shot to knock you out. And I think he's going to get it in the first round. Against uh, Derek Lewis in his last bout, Junior Dos Santos took a lot of risks that he didn't need to take. I thought he was technically the much better fighter. You and I disagreed on that on that pick as well. And you know what? Junior Dos Santos made it way closer than it had to be by just waiting in with offense when Lewis seemed hurt. That's exactly when Lewis gets his finishes. Um, Francis Ngannou is probably not getting hurt in this fight. He's probably going to catch him with an uppercut. Uh, or a clean right hand as Junior Dos Santos comes in with a jab or an overhand. Uh, I'll hate to see it happen, but Francis Ngano is going to knock out Junior Dos Santos in the first round. Yeah, we're in agreement here. I, I will add that I wouldn't be surprised if Junior Dos Santos grabs a leg and it's and he gets knocked out by a half-assed hammer fist. Very well. <laughs> I mean, like, not that Junior's it, chin sucks, but yes. No, it just it, it doesn't matter. It's not about Junior's chin. About Ngano is made is made out of murder stone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just I think Steve. You know, I still think Stepe and possibly Cormier are the only guys um, who have the speed and the wrestling uh, to potentially beat Ngano. I just think he's. I think he would crush Derek Lewis in a rematch. I think he found whatever. He, uh, you know, whatever broke after the Stipe fight. And uh, I just, it's still, Stipe Miocic deserves so much credit for what he did. Um, for what he did that bout. But yeah, I've got Nganu in the first. I think anybody picking Dos Santos is a, uh, you know, they've got, they must be from Brazil and always pick Brazilian fighters. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone, uh, picking him to win this fight. Now watch me be wrong. I just think uh, what Ngannou has been able to do uh, for the better part of his career, and if his head is on straight, he's going to knock yours off. Yeah, unfortunately for Dos Santos, that is the case. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if Dos Santos goes with a a smart game plan here, but again, he needs to not get hit for way too long a period of time, and he's probably not going to finish Ngannou on the floor, so... Yeah, it's, it's going to stink to watch, but it will be a spectacular knockout in all likelihood. We've got Juicy Formiga, who has had a bit of a career resurgence training with American Top Team recently, putting together brilliant game plans against some pretty high-level prospects, going up against Joseph Benavides, who left Team Alpha Male in the recent past and is now training with Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. Uh, Benavides is a, is a stalwart in the division. He's number one for a reason. Uh, at 125, whereas Jusia Formiga is number two. So this is a pretty high-level bout. Um, who do you favor in this one, Nick? This is uh, this is about as close to a pick'em as you can get, in my opinion. Um, I mean, Benavides is favored one seventy five minus one seventy five against uh, Formigas uh, plus one fifty five. But Jiu-Jitsu's been a Jiu-Jitsu's been around the block. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. This, is, this could be uh, his fifteenth year, maybe as a pro. Uh, maybe a little bit less than that. Let's take a look here. So Jiu-Jitsu made his debut. 2006. He's in his 13th year. He's yeah, in his yeah. 13th year as a pro. Um, you know, he had the split decision loss to Sergio Pettis, which was a very close fight. Before that, uh, his, own, his other two most recent losses were to uh, Demetrius Johnson. One, an extremely close split decision, and the other one when he walked into that, uh, he walked into that shot and got KO'd. The only time um, he's ever been finished. So, I mean, he's just, he's the toughest of the tough. 
Um, he does, you know, of his career losses, two were to Dominic Cruz, one of those a split decision, two losses to Demetrius Johnson, one of those a split decision, and then the split to Sergio Pettis. I mean, he is an all-time great. I think he belongs in the MMA, if not the UFC Hall of Fame. Um, but at 34 years old, uh, how old? How old is? Let's see. How old is Formiga? Formiga is also 34, but uh, and he st- he was started turn pro in 2005. But I don't think he has as many fights as as Joe does. I don't it think it's the mileage that Joe has. No, not the mileage. It just seems to me that he's uh, he's been getting better. Whereas with Joe, the technique is still there. He just seems like he's slowing down just a hair. And with the style that he fights, that can you know, like in the in the round one against the Pettis fight, it can just mean taking you know taking more damage. Uh, my instinct. And maybe this is just, uh, you know, my my fanboy um, talking and the fact that, that Benavidez already has a win over him, um, knocking him out six years ago or five and a half years ago. But I'm going to pick uh, I'm going to pick Joe by razor thin decision. Yeah, last time Joe was able to get a, I think, first round TKO over over Jose Formiga and that was concerning because I don't even know. I watched that fight, and I don't even know that Benavidez landed anything that terrible. He rocked him with one shot and then threw a combo, and it seemed like no part of that combo truly landed cleanly, but Formiga just dropped, curled up, covered his face, essentially asking the referee to stop the bout. Um, that's concerning. And he's now, fought some hitters since then. Yeah. Uh, he, he has, and, and and some guys that are known to hit uh, harder, I think, than Joe Benavidez. Yes. Um, he did lose that super close split decision to Henry Cejudo. He lost to Ray Borg, who was able to avoid a lot of his takedowns. But recently, he's been training with the American Top Team, and since then, he's I think I think he's four and zero since then. Maybe three and zero. Maybe three of those four of his last wins have come with American Top Team. But his last two wins are are over the previously undefeated Davison Figueredo who a lot of people favored to uh, beat Jusia da Silva, and Sergio Pettis, who was a guy at the very top of the division as well. Um, Just to confirm, he is, he is undefeated since joining ATT. Yes. Um, and he, he, the difference has been the fact that his game planning, right? He's not walking in there desperately looking for a takedown. He is now comfortably boxing with you, making you believe that he's happy to exchange um, throwing feints and fakes. He doesn't even have to throw much, give you much of an opportunity for a counter, right? He just does enough to make you believe he's into this, and you need to worry about that right hand. And then he shoots right under, gets a clean takedown. That sets basically the parameters for the rest of the bout. Um, he did it to Davis and Figueredo. He did it to Sergio Pettis. He made both guys believe he's down to stand because he looked good standing without really committing to a whole lot. And not, not really a whole lot happens in those first moments before he gets the takedown. But once he gets the takedown, it's pretty clear to everyone who's on top and who's winning. He gets that first uh, takedown, and that gives him the confidence to initiate essentially the same game plan in the second round. Davidson Figueredo is considered a really dangerous guy. And I thought that Formiga did a brilliant job of, of throwing just enough and staying out of range for Figueredo's counters just enough to make Figueredo believe that he was down a strike with him. It was a lovely performance. I don't think that'll work against Benavidez. As much as I think 
for Formiga's a much better fighter than he was the first time they fought several years ago. I think that Benavides is still probably a step ahead. And that kind of trickery that worked for Formiga against the two prospects that he fought in his last two bouts, it won't work against a super, super experienced uh, and, and really high-level veteran like Joe Benavides. So I do favor Benavides to take a decision here. I don't think it'll be a shellacking like it was in the first one. And uh, I guess there's a chance that, uh, that Joe Benavides is, in fact, getting old because it has seemed that way for a little while now. But he's come back with a couple of big victories over a couple of prospects. He's He, he himself has had a bit of a resurgence after that. Sergio Pettis split decision loss back in 2018. He beat Alex Perez and Dustin Ortiz in his last two bouts. Alex Perez, mind you, by first round knockout. I've got Benavides. I'm in agreement with you, but with a little more confidence, it sounds like. We've got the uh, the featured bout is Damian the Backpack Maya against Anthony Rocco Martin. And uh, as impressive as, as Martin has been, I see no reason to not predict uh, first round backpacking. Yeah, same here. Uh, Anthony Rocco <laughs> Uh, I, I don't. He's made major improvements, and I think uh, he's dating Kayla Harrison, who is you know a pretty high level Olympic uh, athlete who who's now competing in MMA is, is undefeated at Team Lloyd Irvin. Um, he's you know kind of linked up with excellence, and that's brought him that's helped bring him to a whole new level, which is cool. And he's got wins over Marais, Matthews, Lafleur, Nakamura to show for it, which is really impressive. Yeah. But you still got to favor Damian Maya. Like he has the takedown ability to take down Rocco Martin. He has at least the ability to glue onto him and take us back. Rocco Martin's got a nasty right hand. He does a really good job of setting it up, which he was able to do against most of those last few opponents. He's also got a pretty good anaconda choke, which unfortunately will be no good here. Um, Rocco Martin has a shot at scoring a knockout here, but I favor Damian Maia to take us back and probably finish, if not get a very decisive decision. Same page as you, Nick. So we're three for three with the same picks here. Uh, so we got a uh, Roosevelt Roberts against uh, Vince uh, Pidchell, who last seen on the uh, on the receiving end of a Gregor Gillespie beating. Um, Roosevelt Roberts, an undefeated prospect. Um, I haven't seen anything from Pidchell that makes me want to uh, pick him over an undefeated prospect. How about you? Yeah, um, I, I actually think that the odds are a little lopsided on this one. I do think Pichel has a decent shot at winning this fight. I'm giving the slight edge to Roosevelt Roberts because I think some of the things that allowed Pichel to beat some of the prospects he's beaten, I think Roberts has those things shored up. I don't know that Roberts is going to get, you know, fairly tired or frustrated in the third round uh, and lose his composure. He, he seems to be pretty sharp in there. Technique overall seems to be pretty high level. He's, I would say, a grade or two above just being a jack of all trades. Uh, he's not an expert in anything, though, which is a little bit concerning. But Pichel isn't either. He's also like a little bit better than just a jack-of-all-trades. I think he generally prefers standing up, but he will go for the occasional takedown. I favor Roberts because of the size advantage. Um, and the, the the size advantage is the fact that he should probably have a slight edge in wrestling. And the fact that his stand-up game is actually high-level enough to exchange with Pichel and stay out of danger. But I could certainly see Pichel picking up a decision here. I think the guys that, yeah, the guys Pichel defeated on the um, Ultimate Fighter guys without wiki pages. Um, then we've got Drew Dober back in action against Marco Polo Reyes. Um, Drew Dober is heavily, heavily favored in this bout, minus three fifty favorite. Do you agree with those odds? 
I think the odds are a little too far out. I think minus 350 is kind of ridiculous. Um, in fact, I'm putting a couple of dollars on Paul Reyes because he's got he can hit hard and and it's worth at, it's worth it at these odds. Drew Dober is a good ki- like a much improved kickboxer who will go for takedowns as well. I think he's the shorter man in this bout, but he should be the stronger guy. I do favor him. I think he's made some big improvements training at Team Elevation over the last few years. Um, and he's looked good because of it, uh, with three wins in a row leading up to that loss to Benil Dariush. But he almost finished Benil in that first round. He looked pretty good in that first round before the takedown happened. So, yeah, I do favor Drew Dober here. I think the odds are a little too too far out. Yeah, I mean, Reyes does have that win over Matt Frivola, uh, who's a tough dude. But um, my my instinct with this bout is also to pick Dober. So we're all we're still um, we're still shot for shot equal here, which we usually aren't this far down a card. True. Um, what do you think about uh, Paul Craig, who often finds a way, and he's a he's a major underdog in this bout. Um, yeah, he he does often find a way. He he either gets smashed by a prospect like he did against Tyson Pedro, Khalil Rontree, and Jimmy Crute. Or he just comes back with an insane come-from-behind victory against the prospect like he did against Kennedy and Zichuku and Magomed Ankalaev. Um, That's right. Kennedy and Zichuku fight was hilarious. That was insanity. He got a a triangle choke after getting beat up in the third round with something like 40 seconds left. It's insanity. Good for him, man. That's the second time I think he he got that Magomed Ankalaev victory with Again, a triangle choke at 4:59 of round three. So it's in that final minute of the fifth of the third round that he's done that twice now against these prospects who are otherwise beating him up. Etsuchuku gave up position, like was just making all kinds of. He was just greener than grass in that fight. Yeah, the athletic as heck, a big dude, hits hard, but super, super green, no doubt. Uh, it's you know what, Paul Craig for an otherwise fairly unathletic light heavyweight. He's actually got a pretty good double leg shot that I think really allows him to have a shot in a lot of these bouts, allows him to take top position, and that's where he's the most dangerous, I think, is with his submissions. That triangle choke works out from him from his back as well. Um, I think all of his UFC wins are by submission, so that, that's, kind of his, that's kind of his bread and butter. Having said that, all of his – well, two of his UFC losses are by knockout and one's by submission, so – He's a finisher, get finished kind of guy. I don't know that Paul Craig's double leg will work against Alonzo Menafield. He's just a short, stocky, wide, powerful, powerful, yeah. powerful light heavyweight. I mean, that is the word here, Nick. That, that that is the key word I think when it comes to this guy. He beat Vinicius Marrero in his UFC debut with just a nasty right hand. Uh, the guy packs a wallop, and I think Paul the, the athletic disparity is pretty big here. Look, Paul Craig can always get a, a submission. He's done it two out of five times against high-level prospects, right? Maybe three out of six times if you look at his UFC career. But I'm still going to favor Alonzo Manfield to land a big shot in the first round. Paul actually does a pretty good job of surviving, but again, he's been yeah, knocked out twice. Be the, got a lot of- yeah, I don't know if it'll be the first round, but I'm going to pick Manfield too. I don't think that um, the uh, Scot- Scotland jiu-jitsu master is, uh, is going to be able to, to pull one off. I hear that. Um, we've got Ricardo Ramos against Journey Newsom. Ramos being a, 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 a bantamweight stalwart. He's been near the top of this division for a little while now, coming off of a knockout loss against uh, 
a streak. Uh, 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 somebody who's been doing really well lately, Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, he's going in there against the UFC debutante, who I think took the fight on short notice in Journey Newsom, who's only stands at five five, uh, but has been looking really good in his MMA career as well. I think he's only got one loss, um, nine and one. I, I I find this one to be interesting. I actually think because Ricardo Ramos, his two losses lately have been by knockout. I think Journey Newsom with that nasty heavy right hand has. Pretty good chance of getting a knockout here. Like it's it's entirely possible. He's taking the bat on short notice, and that's somewhat concerning. Um, I, I wonder if Ricardo Ramos will be able to take the shorter, stockier man down. But I, I will give the edge to Ramos. I could absolutely see Journey Newsom pulling off this victory. In fact, I'm going to lay a few dollars down on him because I think that right hand is worth it combined with Ramos's questionable uh, chin and potentially questionable heart based on that uh, body shot finish in his last bout. Um, but I'm going to favor Ramos here and, and, and expect him to keep that range. I mean, the guy's been preparing for a fight this whole time, whereas Journey, I think, took this bout on two weeks' notice or something. Um, he's been waiting for that UFC debut, but it's not in the ideal circumstances. I would say the odds are a little too far apart, but I'm still going to favor the favorite in Ricardo Ramos here. I'm also going to favor Ramos. Uh, I still thought what he did to Faraz Sahabi's little brother was pretty sweet. Um, with that spinning... That spinning elbow uh, KO uh, not all that long ago. Um, and yeah, I think uh, Journey Newsom's uh, journey to the octagon may be accompanied with some jitters. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I think this is, I think Ramos is going to land enough stuff and Newsom's going to find himself in, a, in positions he's unaccustomed to and get probably get finished. I will say though, Ricardo Ramos, his wins in the UFC are against Kyung Ho Kang, uh, Ayman Zahabi, and Michihiro Tanaka. These aren't exactly the best of the best in the division. And, wow. and that, la- th- that last bout against, Ka- against Kang, um, it was a split decision. I think a lot of folks thought that he, he shouldn't have won it, that Ramos should have lost that decision to Kang. Uh, Zahabi, I think, was winning on points, if I'm not mistaken, until that third That's- round comeback. Yeah, um, and Tanaka is not exactly high level material here. So again, we have we don't really have a whole lot of reason to believe that Ramos is is a real super high level guy here. But uh, I think Newsom may have more potential than Ramos. Honestly, Ramos might just be a guy a lot like Thomas Almeida, where he looks like a real prospect early, but then we realize he's not all that durable. He doesn't have some intangibles that that are hard to tell unless you see him in some rough fights. Um, again, I, I could I see Journey Newsom as a live underdog here. But yeah, I, think that's fair. Pick. I think that's fair, but I, yeah, I'm picking Ramos. The next fight's interesting because Eric Anders is heavily favored over uh, Vinicius Moreira. And, you know, Anders too much too soon. Uh, too much too soon, too much too fast. He's lost three fights in a row, four of his last five. He probably should have gotten the nod against Machida um, a little about, about a year and a half ago. Um, but since then, it's been real ugly. He fought a, a he was in a fight. He was heavily favored to win against Tim Williams, and Williams got the uh, not nearly as strong or athletic as Anders. Um, did way better than anybody thought he was going to, in my mind. Certainly won the first round of that fight um, before succumbing to a head kick uh, after he kind of gassed and uh, and had taken some damage in round three. And aside from that fight, which uh, where Williams kind of snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, um, you have Anders 
um, getting uh, kind of beat up by Tiago Santos, losing a frustrating split decision to the uh, the prancing skills of Elias Theodoro, and then uh, you know taking a uh, a drubbing from Khalil Roundtree. So I feel like the the UFC here. Maybe the Sean Shelby's of the world are acknowledging that they uh, it was too much too soon for him. They're giving him the the closest chance that the UFC gives to what I would call a get right fight. Um, he should be able to uh, overwhelm uh, Marrera in in my estimation. Um, but you know we'll see. I think if Anders loses this fight, it will be his last appearance in the UFC. Um, so I'm picking I'm picking Eric Anders to. Uh, um, to get to regain some confidence, um, probably maybe with a third round finish, maybe with a, uh, a, a cautiously won decision. I think he may be a little overcautious in this fight and, and as technical as we've seen him, uh, so far, because he probably has a sense that with four out of five losses, his, uh, his career is on the line. Yeah, I, I feel like Vinicius Marrero is basically just a grappler. He's got some heart, which will come in handy. And Anders is probably not aggressive enough to just knock him out the way that Alonzo Mann in the field was able to do in Vinicius' last bout. I'm going to favor Anders here as well. I think it's a pretty similar style matchup, although I think Anders is probably the less dangerous uh, but more experienced um, of those two between him and Mann in the field. Um, Anders, he does have an issue with output. I can see him being particularly careful. But standing up, Vinicius doesn't really offer a whole lot. I think compared to Anders' uh, last many opponents, Vinicius is not on that level. Khalil Rountree, who in his last bout looked incredible, uh, shocking with how good he looked after training a Tiger Muay Thai, um, he made Anders look really bad, man. And Anders may just be coming to a really bad point in his career. Diago Santos was just a war man. That's the kind of fight that takes years from your life. Uh, Roundtree, that was a beating. That's the kind of thing that takes years from your life. So Vinicius has a way here, especially if Eric Anders is in a really bad place mentally, being one in four in his last five bouts. Um, I'm going to give Eric Anders the, uh, the edge because it's a stylistic matchup. But given the intangibles, I could see Vinicius scoring a comeback submission here. Jordan Griffin is going up against Vince Murdoch in Vince Murdoch's USC debut. Vince Murdoch is actually an alpha male guy, a short, stocky wrestle boxer standing at about 5'6". And he's going up against Jordan Griffin, who's 17-6 and six overall. He is winless in the UFC, his UFC debut having come against Dan Ige. He's actually a pretty big favorite here, which seems odd to me, considering the credentials and the fact that Griffin isn't exactly a killer. Like, how is he getting all this love from, from the odds makers? Uh, when they list him at minus 360. It just sounds insane to me. I know that Murdoch is taking this bat on short notice. But having said that, Murdoch isn't, like from the tape that I've been able to watch, he isn't quite on the same level as a lot of his team alpha male counterparts. I can certainly see him having a shot wrestling his way to a decision here, although I haven't really seen him, Vince Murdoch, go for a lot of takedowns. Jordan Griffin did lose his last bout because he was taken down by Dan Ige, who's turning out to be a real prospect. I'm giving the edge to the guy that's heavily favored, Jordan Griffin. I think the odds are way too far out of whack, if you ask me. Um, I agree with all of that. I've also got um, I've got Griffin favored, and I'm concerned we're going to go through all of our picks without any differences. What's next? We got Dan Murray against Jared Gordon. Uh, Jared Gordon, uh, heavily favored. Again, I think the odds seem a little 
um, a little hefty. I don't know what's exactly what's driving that. He's lost his last two fights against Diego Fajaya, Joaquin Silva. He does have a win over Hacker and Diaz, which is not which is not nothing. Was Dan Murray has also coming off two losses to Alex White and Gilbert Burns. Um, he doesn't have a scalp anywhere near Hacker and Diaz's, although he does have a victory over Jordan Griffin. Based on who they've been kind of in the cage with, I'm going to take the 14 and three Jared Gordon over the 13 and five uh, Dan Moret here. I think uh, I think there's good reason for Gordon to be favored. Yeah, Jared Gordon used to train here in New York. Um, I've actually been—he's uh, a lightweight, and I'm—and I weigh around 200 pounds, so we didn't really spar each other. But I've been in the training room with him a couple times, and he's a pressure fighter through and through. Um, I know he's recently made the change to uh, extreme couture from from the local scene here in New York, from Henzo Gracie, and I think Church Street Boxing is where he did a lot of his stand-up training. Um, yeah, he he is coming off of two losses against Diego Ferreira and. Joaquim Silva, both are athletic, powerful guys who have respectable ground games and hit really hard. They're not the worst losses in the world, if you ask me, especially when you compare them to the losses of Dan Murray, who's, you know, winless in the UFC. But I expect Gordon to pressure his way to a pretty dominant beating here. Um, he should get a late finish. But worst case, it should be a very, very clear cut decision. Uh, look, he got knocked out of his last two bouts. So. Uh, Moray, I don't know how many knockouts he has on his record, but if he's got any power in his fist, he certainly has a shot here. It looks like the majority of his wins have come by submission, so I don't give him much of a chance. Um, I'm giving Gordon a, a pretty good edge here. I would put Gordon in a parlay when it comes to the betting uh, for this event here. Okay. Emily Meyer is going up against Amanda Rebus. Whitmire, who's got a couple of bouts in the UFC after an Ultimate Fighter stint. She actually is 2-1 and one in the UFC overall. She's going up against uh, an Amanda Rebus here, who I think was supposed to debut in the UFC a couple, uh, a couple of years ago, but then was uh, given a USADA suspension and is, is finally coming back now. She's actually looked really good in, the, in her MMA career, going 6-1. and one. Her only loss is to Pollyanna Viana. I, my instinct is to go with Whitmire here. I favor Whitmire here as well. Uh, I'm not sure how good Rebus is, but again, the two-year layoff uh, that lost to the one UFC, to the one high-level fighter we know that she fought, uh, I favor Wittmire. We've got Maurice Green up next, who is uh, kind of working out to be a prospect after experiencing a loss to Juan Espino on the Ultimate Fighter to Jeff Hughes earlier in his career. Um, he came into the UFC and beat Carl Batista, who you know isn't exactly a high-level fighter, and Jeff Hughes. Uh, he was able to avenge that loss via split decision. Um, in Jeff Hughes' UFC debut, going up here against Junior Albini, who, you know, looked good in his last fight against Rosenstruck. Until, yeah. until he didn't, until he got caught. Yeah, Alexei Olenek getting submitted by him is nothing to be ashamed of, right? Like, he gets guys like that all of the time. And Andre Olovsky losing a decision to him isn't the worst thing in the world either. Um, outside of that, he's only got the one win in the UFC. If you think about it, he's only one on three. It just, I feel like that one on three... <laughs> Isn't as bad as it looks, but Maurice Green is a prospect, and even though he's probably got a fraction of the skill of Albini and the experience, uh, he does have a lot of talent and a big size advantage. What do you think of this one, Nick? This is a t- this is a tougher one to call. Al- Albini has not shown a really good fight IQ or uh, a ton of killer instinct. Um, I just don't know where his head's at. I mean, if he loses this fight, he's probably gone. I know how shallow heavyweight is, but you know, he's not in the seat. He doesn't land big knocks. Um, so 
I my instinct here is to go with the underdog, uh, Maurice Green. That said, I really don't want whether I win or lose against you to fall on this fight of all fights. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually favor Maurice Green here by decent, okay. by decent margin. Um, and, and it sucks that we're we're ending up messed up in all these in all these. Time. Games, but first time it's happened. Yeah, um, Maurice Green. I actually favor him over Mikhail Batista. I, I do see him as as a prospect. I think he's got real potential, especially now that he is training. Um, I, I think he ended up, I forget who his ultimate fighter coach was, but I think he ended up training with one of the high level MMA teams following his ultimate fighter stint. That can do a lot for your, for your skill level. Albini's at a pretty low point confidence wise, and he's going to be the smaller man here, even though he's got more skill in a lot of areas. He has a shot at taking Maurice Green down a few times and winning a decision that way based on his last performance. But I'm still going to favor Maurice Green here, uh, who was the taller guy and I think has the much higher upside in the long term. Um, I actually didn't realize Maurice Green was an underdog, but again, I usually make my picks. Hey, it's a pick and fight, and yeah, he's um, actually looks like Maurice Green is the slightest, slightest favorite right now at minus 115 versus Junior Albini, who's uh, minus 105. I mean, this is a pick and bout anyway, put it, I think. Um, do you have any bets in mind for this event, Nick? You know, I would maybe do, because the odds aren't that crazy, maybe a Maya Benavidez parlay. Maybe uh, maybe Maurice Green and either of those guys uh, for a parlay, but the uh, it doesn't it's, it doesn't feel like a betting card to me. Yeah, um, I, I do see a couple of opportunities, um, more opportunities than I initially saw in the last event. Um, I actually think parlaying Ngannou in there with uh, let's say Green with Emily Wetmire. Um, those are those are pretty good parlays that you can work with. Those names in particular. Uh, I think Maya Maya and a parlay might be a little bit risky because of uh, his opponent's power. I would seriously recommend Nganu in some kind of a parlay situation, as I said. Maya, I would recommend a straight bet on at minus 185. That's about as good an odds as you're going to get on Damian Maya against a favorable style matchup and a, a somewhat unproven at the highest of levels prospect. Um, I think Benavidez at minus 170 is a good bet here as well. I know that Figueredo has been improved. I'm um, sorry, uh, Formiga has been improving, but I still think uh, Benavidez should have the edge in that bout. And at minus 170, I think those are pretty good odds, considering I favor him by a decent margin. And I think Maurice Green is worth investing in as a straight bet as well. He's uh, super athletic. He's got a big size advantage, and he's going up against the guy who's 1-3 in the UFC. Maurice Green is 2-0 in the UFC. Um, I know things are not always that simple, but uh, I think, as you alluded to, Albini figures out ways to lose fights, even fights in which he looks good early. So I, I do favor Green, and, and I would put him in a straight bid here as well. I do have a few fights where, like last week, I thought that the odds were a little bit lopsided. I, I Just from this section of my betting last week, I actually had a profit of like $25. It's not a whole lot, but uh, this is something I'm experimenting with. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to put together a few of the bouts where I feel the odds are lopsided and invest 5 to 10 bucks on those underdogs. I'm not putting, taking a huge risk. But the, the 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 bonus might be that it offsets one of my other bet losses. Um, so I'm I'm picking uh, uh, Vince Pichel um, at plus two ten. I think he's worth ten dollars. He's going up against a talented Roosevelt Roberts, but Pichel's really good everywhere. And I don't really see like I don't really see this fight being one sided against Roosevelt Roberts. It's truly truly something special. Um, so I do think Pichel's worth a ten dollar investment. Polo Ray is uh, plus 290. 
I mean, he's worth five bucks at those odds at least. I do favor Drew Dober in the bout, but Paul Reyes has power in his hands, and Drew Dober's going to be generally happy to stand with him for the majority of that first round. He usually goes for late takedowns, if I remember correctly. Um, so Paul Reyes has a shot of scoring a knockout, and at those odds, it's worth five dollars. Um, Paul Craig, I I'm not so. I know he always comes in as a big underdog and beats these prospects. So I maybe put five bucks on Paul Craig. Uh, as well, plus 260. He's fighting Alonzo Manfield, who we haven't really seen any ground game of, uh, but we know he hits hard as hell. Uh, Craig has a has a small shot at scoring a submission there. So again, these are not bets that I have a, a, a strong belief in. They're just really good value bets, I think. I think Gavin Newsom is worth uh, putting some money on against Ricardo Ramos. I know Ramos is the more experienced UFC fighter, but I alluded to the fact that his wins haven't been against the best guys at all, and he's lost to the couple of good guys that he fought. So I I, I do uh, I am going to invest some money in Newsom at plus two sixty five. He's worth a ten dollar bet. I think the guy's got serious power in that right hand. He's got a chance there. And I think Vince uh, Murdoch, who I'm not a big believer in as a general as a talent, but I do think I do think he's got more than a plus three hundred chance against Griffin. Who you know Griffin's not exactly the the most uh, well known. Jordan Griffin's not the most well known high level fighter. And Jordan Griffin is own one in the UFC. And Jordan Griffin has figured out ways to lose six times in his career. So he's not exactly just this untouchable uh, uh, fighter. And, and he's plus, and he's a minus 300 favorite. It, it seems ridiculous. So I do recommend putting uh, five or 10 bucks on Vince Murdoch um, at plus 300 odds. If you bet five, you will win 15. And if you, if you bet 10, you'll win 30. It's just a, a bit of a way to offset uh, potentially some of those other losses. And I think, uh, given some of the how lopsided these odds are, it may be worth it. Parlay wise, I play around with Emily Wetmire, Maurice Green, uh, Francis Ngannou. Um, I, I think those are the ones that I would kind of focus on when it, not, when, when it comes to the parlay. I, I wouldn't necessarily double up on any of them except for Ngannou, who I'm fairly confident will probably touch JDS's chin at some point. Um, I, I would maybe do an Ngannou Whitmire as well as an Ngannou Green, but I wouldn't double up on uh, Whitmire or Green. I'm not as confident in their chances. Um, those are the numbers that I play with, Nick. How do we figure out the winner of this event? Do we Do we maybe want to make them? I got an idea. I have an idea. Yes. Uh, which, I, if you and I both feel really confident that JDS is going to get slept, I think I think the uh, if, if we call out the round and the time that that's going to happen, whoever is closest uh, wins the event. Huh. You think everything should be based on that? That just leaves it up well, to it's more. It's a little more exciting than it going on to uh, Maurice Green Jr. Albini, or we can just call this one a. It's we're just in we're just in sync, like uh, you know. Um, how, about, know how about this metaphor there? And then we wait till next week to determine the uh, the king. Uh, how about this, Nick? And and the reason we're discussing this live on the show is because we had no like we don't tell each other uh, each other's picks, so we have no idea. You know that we're on the same page in this one. How about if we uh, give a round um, and a and a t- and a technique for victory? So TKO, KO, submission, uh, decision. We 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 make those two predictions for all the main card bouts, and we just like list them out quickly. And whoever whoever is whoever is most accurate gets the whole thing. Oh, just for the top five. Yes, okay. I've got Ngannou via knockout in the first. Uh huh. I've got Benavidez via decision. 
I've got Damian Maya via submission in the first. Got it. I've got Roosevelt Roberts by decision. And I've got Drew Dober via TKO in the third. For the two decisions that you predicted, um, yeah. uh, and by the way, I, I will, my numbers will be a little bit different, but the two decisions that you predicted, the uh, Benavidez decision, um, do you expect that to be split or? I, I expect them to both be unanimous. Okay, cool. So both unanimous. So I guess that'll be the distinction if we both pick decisions just on the off chance. Okay. So I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with you on Francis Ngannou getting a first round, first round knockout, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to call Benavidez. I would tend to think decision, but I'm trying to see if there's enough reason to pick him by anything else. If he doesn't win by decision, he generally, uh, Benavidez generally, does he get TKOs? That's really the question. Um, Alex Perez, outside of that, not really. Yeah, I, I think you gotta you gotta pick him by decision, even though he did get a first round knockout the last time these two fought. So I will agree with you on the decision here. Uh, Maya, I'll say Maya submission round two, so that'll be one point of deference. I feel like it's a bit risky, but but maybe uh, maybe it'll take him more than just that first round to get the finish. If um, he gets it, in the, if he gets it in the third, we both we both lose. You don't get it for being closer, correct? Yes, and then we've got uh, Roberts by decision. I think I agree with you there. Pichel's probably too tough to get finished by Roberts. I do you think it's probably going to be unanimous, so we're on the same page there. And then we got Dober, you said by TKO, uh, which round? Uh, I think I said TKO 2. TKO 2, I actually think the same thing. Um, I do want to mix that one up too, though. I'm going to pick Dober by something slightly different. Let me see here. He gets, you know, he... Uh... No, he doesn't get a lot of subs. <laughs> no, he doesn't, does he? No, his last submission win was against Jamie Varner uh, five years ago. See, the the thing about Paul Reyes is that he gets tired. He gets exhausted. So it's like, and, and he doesn't really like fight through tough moments. So it's certainly certainly possible to finish him, even if, uh, even if Dober is not known for getting finishes i'm gonna say Do- uh, you said round two i'm gonna yes. say dober decision okay so we've got our point just to just to wrap up our points of differentiation are i'm picking drober by drew dober by tko in the second you're picking him by decision and you're picking my that it takes my an extra round to submit uh martin uh yeah okay yeah, that's the gist of it. I also wouldn't be surprised if the Maya uh, Martin fight went to decision. There's a chance Martin's tough enough, but uh, but Maya has been getting those finishes over the tall, lanky guys lately. Cool. Well, we'll be back at everyone um, next week for a massive card, right? Um, predicting John Jones Santos, Holly Holm Nunez. Yes, sir. We've got uh, George Mosmodel, Ben Askren, uh, Blackwitz Rockhold, Sanchez Chiesa. Uh, th- there's definitely some meat on the bone. Wait, yeah, me. it's a big card. This is the this is the fan fest, uh, the UFC the yeah. fan fest card, um, and yeah. it, it uh, is my fourth weekend. Yeah, we've got Gilbert Melendez, Sean O'Malley facing Marlon Vera, which is like oh, great. that's that must be changing. O'Malley just got just got uh, just again. That's unfortunate. That sucks. I hope Vera gets to fight someone else. Yeah, Claudia Gadea, Marcos. Um, so just, I mean, he's a rockin' 
I mean, that that main car, uh, it it leans forward the whole time. Basis Sanchez is two psychos. Yeah, even though you know, Black is kind of methodical, 